I'm finishing up the series on the seven deadly sins, and as I told you, this was a series that Pastor Jonathan Watson, my presbyter from Bella Vista Assembly of God, uh, was gracious to give me about two years of his, he says, his finest sermons to make my own. And so this series is one that he, he took from a, a book on the seven deadly sins. Um, and so it's this list of the seven deadly sins that, that I know movies have been made about. Uh, people tend to focus more on these, but we have pride is the one that I saved for the last. In his list, it was not the last one that he uh, spoke on. I actually right now can't remember which one was the last, but pride wasn't. But I chose to put pride at the very last. And the reason is because I believe it's so pivotal for so many other uh, sins. Um, it is, if you will, to me, it's the original sin. It's what caused Satan to fall, right? Lucifer to fall, uh, pride in his heart. And really pride uh, is systemic from from, from a, a lack of focus on God because as we pull our focus off God and ourselves, pride creeps in. And so uh, when we look at this, there's the realities I've listed every time about this list of sins. We have pride, greed, gluttony, lust, uh, you know, slothfulness, anger, envy, all these but there's some realities about these. Every sin on this list brings disorder, confusion, and chaos in their lives. They all deny the, prop, the limits of proper things. It's really interesting, the fine line between being judgmental of other people and, and looking at yourself as, I don't have that problem, but being able to identify when you see these things rare up in somebody. As a pastor, there's times when, when um, you know, a, a good brother or sister in Christ, I'll, I'll see an attitude pop up that I know you know, I know that, that, that pride is getting a foothold. Uh, and, and it's real easy for us to think, wow, I can't believe they, they did that. But what I've learned is, you know, pride comes before the fall. I've learned not to say those things in my mind or catch myself because as soon as I start saying, wow, I can't believe they did that, guess what I'll be doing next? It's, it's an interesting thing how, how pride is so catchy. It's really catchy. It, it, you get it before you know you're getting it's like me getting bit by a tick and getting the sickness it's like i didn't know it was attached to me and, and until i started getting you know itchy some of the you know holy spirit started started causing me to itch. oh wait man i got a little pride stuck to me i got the it's i got the tick sick i got the pride sick pride denies the limit of authority and here's where the itchiness comes in with pride your authority has to be challenged before you know you've gotten prideful. What I mean by that is you're going along fine thinking you're fine until someone asks you to do something you don't want to do or tells you you need to do something you don't want to do or, or, or suggests to you that you need to make a change and all of a sudden you're like, I do not. I do not. I'm perfectly fine just as I am. Now it's the difference between just a whim of someone who goes around telling people what to do and maybe a spiritual advisor, a pastor, a teacher, a uh, someone who you rightfully so gave them authority to speak into your life, but all of a sudden they start to do it and you're like, no, no, that's not me. I'm looking at some faces like I might be bringing up something they've never heard of before. <laughs> Nobody's ever experienced that where you've been told something where you kind of felt this little bow up inside that said, think again. All right. But they run hope. And despair is always a result of the things on this list of these sins. And our lives aren't meant to be lived under the dominion of these sins. When these sins have dominion over our eternal hope in God, our eternal hope in God 
it begins to fade. Our hope in God begins to fade and we find despair ruling our lives. I want to read Isaiah chapter 14, 12 through 17. Chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of, of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world uh, a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? The basic fundamental issue of all sin is pride. From it, all other deadly sins draw their strength. Humility kills a lot of sin. You know, hu humility looks like this when someone comes at you and says, you know, I think that you're being pretty harsh towards your brothers or sisters. Really? Really? I, I didn't mean to. What, what did you see? Whereas pride puffs up and says, no, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. We, we often can recognize pride puffing up in us when any, if you have more often than not, someone comes to you with a suggestion or something you need to do or anything, and you're immediately coming up with a response of why you can't or why you don't or why you won't. It, it's pride that has settled in that says, I'm, I'm too above to have anyone else suggest to me or guide me or lead me or change me. Proverbs 8.13, we're going to read a bunch of short scriptures here and there and, and if you're taking notes, you can jot them down. I probably won't slow down enough for us to, if you're turning in a regular Bible, not your Bible app, you may not catch me. But Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. God hates it. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 16.5, every proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. And then Isaiah 28.1, woe to, the, woe to that, that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards, to the fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, to that city, the pride of those laid low by wine. Proverbs 15.25, the Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. Proverbs 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. You know, the interesting thing about pride is many times, you, you heard the saying, uh, pick your battles, or that's not a hill to die on. The interesting thing about pride is it, it, it actually puts a lens on your eyes where you can't quickly determine what are battles to pick and what aren't. Before you know it, pride has you picking battles on every front and wasting your time arguing about things that, that really don't matter. 
pride is connected to arguments and argumentation. If you're a person prone to be argumentative, likely you have a pride issue. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Pride is connected to envy in Proverbs 21, 24. The proud and arrogant man, the mocker, is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. Pride is connected to wrath, uncontrolled anger that results from pride. In James 4, chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Pride brought Satan down. He said, I'm not content to be one of the three archangels. I want to exalt myself above God. In the Garden of Eden, the temptation that overwhelmed Adam and Eve wasn't lust hunger, or hunger. It was pride. If you will eat this, then you'll be as God is, was the lie. Pride is the foundation of sin and the beginning of disruption in relationship. One of the things that I have noticed from, from several books I've read on um, pastoral leadership, and I've also noticed a, a common thread, if you really start to dissect some of the popular non-Christian leadership books, there's a common thread. People cannot be led unless they allow their leader to lead. People cannot be led unless they allow their leader to lead. And largely what separates those who allow themselves to be led and those who don't pride you have to be humble enough to say i need someone to lead me once you put yourself in the place that i am a i am a um, consumer or a um what's the word i'm looking for that's where the tick sticks get me i am a uh, people who evaluate things um i i'm a consumer or i'm an evaluator of leadership critic of leadership and in the bible belt this is very an, a very infectious, infectious strain of pride. I've watched it happen before I was a pastor in church by church. People literally go from place to place trying to find the leader they think meets standards. But if they ever stepped in the foot of that leader, right, Pastor Mike? If they ever had to, if they ever had to be in that leader, all of a sudden, I, I've known people who said, you know what, we're tired of how church is going, we're just going to go start our own church. And I've watched some of those things last maybe a couple months. Because they could have never imagined someone coming to them and saying, I don't like the way you're leading. I don't, I don't like the way you do things. They could have never imagined that happening to them. Because what they don't understand is that pride is the roadblock to a successful team. And so even in Scripture, God is attacking this, this, uh, this deadly sin in our lives, saying, I hate it. It's an abomination. I hate it. Uh, and being, uh, being the sin that caused Lucifer to fall, it's very foundational to what pulls us away from, from the Lord. Pride says, I'm no longer willing to submit. It's the basketball team that decides it no longer needs the coach. The school that decides that they no longer listen to the administrators. The administrators who decide that they don't care what the voters say. The board members who decide to oust the president of the board. 
the church that rejects its leaders and spurns them. One of the great failings of the hyperfaith movement is in pride. That a person can declare their own life, that they can claim their own experiences. That basically the Lord is waiting for our command before he does. Lord, I, I command it. I, I, I almost cringe sometimes when I hear these things where, where people put themselves in place like, like God is my, my puppet. And the power of our words are greater than the power of God. And it's a very slippery slope that happens, this pride that begins to, to, to boast ourselves that we're the ones that are the originators of God's power, not the ones who are a vessel being able to flow God's power through us to accomplish his works. There's one clear way to identify pride in our lives. It's consistently and in every way being unteachable. This is something that I've, I've almost had as a mantra since I've been a pastor, and it didn't become because of my experience as a pastor. It, it came from being a pastor's son and sitting in the background and overhearing things I probably shouldn't have overheard and seeing things for decades that I didn't want to see. And it's always the identifier to me that someone has a prideful attitude is when it comes to their leader or their um, spiritual leader either having to bring correction or in trying to teach and then it puffs up. You don't need to tell me how that is. We've seen, we've seen people who would, would sit in a ministry and listen to a minister week after week, but then they would take their opportunity to go on social media and rebuttal the message every time in a you know, way that didn't right, come out right and say it. But it was the Spirit saying, you know what? You can say what you want from God's Word. I got it better. Now, there's, there's something to be said. We need to divide word, God's Word for ourselves and not just come in and listen to a preacher and say, whatever you say goes. But there's a difference in the attitude of the heart of, no, I'll show you. Or, really, let me check that out. And then maybe I need to go to pastor and say, did I hear you correctly? I just need to understand. Any pastor that bows up that has an issue with pride. But I can tell you every pastor has a problem with someone who decides to go around them and, and go out there and, and have their own campaign against what was preached. Pride despises instruction and hates authority. And I believe America is infected with a negative spirit that despises authority. One of the problems that is causing the downgrading of education in America is the unteachable spirit that is prevalent in students. And they're learning it from who? Their parents. If you jump to Johnny's defense every time someone tells Johnny he doesn't something he doesn't like, guess what you're going to get? A Johnny that nobody likes. Well, that's their problem. I mean, we, we've been in close relationship with some people that, uh, you know, we had to separate relationship with them because, I mean, everything was a rant on Facebook or whatever about how these people are wrong and they're treating my kid bad and this and that and this and that and this and that. And it's just constant fight all day long. And, you know, you try to come in lovingly and show them this is how Christ wants to behave. And eventually you realize if somebody's heart's so set on being prideful, you just got to say, look, I cannot let my kids be exposed to that. I can't, I, if, I'm, if you're not going to allow me to come in and, and be a light in the situation, then we have to protect our hearts from the spirit you're allowing to reside in you. When we publicly and profusely 
criticize our leaders and those in authority. We plant the seeds of pride and negate teachability in their spirits. I, I sometimes think about the rants that we have about our presidential candidates. And I think about those times I've been in a situation where I had to make a hard decision and I knew all the background, I knew all the reasons, and I prayed about it, and I knew for a fact from the Holy Spirit that I was doing exactly what I should do. It wasn't right or wrong, just obedience. And then hear the chatter in the background from others about, man, Pastor CJ, this is blah, blah, blah. And I think, man, can you imagine having millions and millions of people and seeing that on social media? You go to lay down in bed at night and <laughs> in that presidential suite. I know, it's rough. But... You know, and you click on the TV, maybe, I don't know what they do, but they click on the TV and, and they see just the news just ranting about them. And all the boastful, you know, he's this, he's that. He's Put some of those people in that pressure, in that situation. Everybody's an armchair, armchair uh, president, just like their armchair quarterbacks, with, right? Armchair presidents. We, we've, all, we've all been there and done that, and we just, we just know exactly how that would be, right? I'm very careful... Because I, I get sucked into it too when someone's talking about the hard time they're having. Oh, I know, boy, if you, you know, this week this and this week that. I'm trying to break myself of it because I know how it feels to me when someone tries to say, I know exactly what you're going through. Oh, do you? Oh, do you, really? I, I, I don't seem to remember you in the truck with me this week and uh, I don't remember seeing you in the office with me when I was dealing with that or I don't remember seeing you, you know. But you have, you have people that just, they seem to always know exactly how hard a time you've had because theirs is worse. We call it the one-upper. And I've joked about this at, at, at Walmart. We had this lady, she's a precious lady. I'm still friends with her, and I joke with her about it, so I'm not making fun of her behind her back. But she is a one-upper, and she doesn't, she can't get out of it. So much so that the management team, one time we talked about, we we're trying to help her in development, right? And, and I, being kind of the jokester that I am, you know, when we realized this was going to be a long road to help, right? This wasn't a quick fix. I said, let's just see how bad it is. I said, when she comes by again, I'm going to make up a story, a fanatical story, and we're going to see if she one-ups it. And I did, where I had visited a castle in England and sat in a royal throne and all kinds of great stuff that the story took a while. And guess what? Before I could even get the last breath out, here came the other story, right? So listen, we, we, these things can be, be funny. The truth is that pride is so multifaceted. It, it comes in in so many ways where it's, it's, it's this thing that sometimes it's not even Ill, Ill intention. It's just a matter of I cannot let myself be lower than someone else. It, it's the exact opposite of humility. And I've said this before. How many times do you hear the word humility mentioned in our culture today? Opposed to pride. What's celebrated, humility or pride? Right, and I'm not just talking about uh, the alternative lifestyle. I mean, pride in everything. I, I went to uh, I went to the ball game, a Benville West ball game Friday night, and uh, I was the loser that didn't think about coming early, didn't realize how many people would be there. So I sit on the opposing side team, you know, where when you yell for the team that you're there for, everybody else is. <laughs> anyway, but. Um, but, you know, when the touchdown is made, right, the guys come up and dance. They're all like, yeah, 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 right? You know, showing you. And it's all good fun. But, but, but pride can go bad. Because don't, don't they now have rules about how much you can celebrate in the end zone? Cedric, is that right? What? Okay, now I might get in trouble because we haven't known each other long. I put you on the spot. In front of, there's not that many people, though. 
but what, what is the rule? Or kind of like just paraphrase, what's the deal? What happens if you do too much in the end zone? You get a penalty. Well, who's paying the penalty? The, the team. The player got the penalty, but who, who's losing the game because of it? Possibly. The team. And that's what happens in the tragedy. Is, is we tend to think, oh, well, so what? This is me. This is how I am. And we let that pride ride for a while. But it hurts the church body. Because that same attitude, we got these new song hats now. You know my, my little bit of tornness about buying those. It's the same thing about putting church bumper stickers on cars. We don't buy them, right? Because I know how I drive. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm the pastor, and if I have all that conviction of the Holy Spirit on me, supposedly I have a higher level of it, right? And you have less conviction of the Holy Spirit because you get away with more because you have less expectation. No, I'm just kidding, but... But then I'm thinking, and you drive worse than I am, then we are really hurting our testimony, right? You know, it's not that bad. Um, almost hit a curb today, and so Jen's <laughs> laughing real hard. <laughs> anyway, but, but the thing is we have, to, we have to realize that these seven deadly sins, they're not just deadly for the person, they're deadly for the body, the whole body. And so um, I want to switch gears here in a minute. I'm going to finish up a few thoughts on, on pride itself. And then I want to switch and talk more about humility. Pride leads to spiritual deception. David's on the porch looking down at Bathsheba, and lust was in action. But we see the beginning of the problem earlier. One verse says, In the time of the year when kings went to war, David stayed home. In the time of the year when kings went to war, David stayed home. David had decided that the order of things no longer applied to him. This, this is the onset. This is the acute uh, diagnosis of, of chronic pride getting ready to onset is when all of a sudden the rules don't apply to me. I'm with Pastor Jonathan. He, he's the one that first said it, but I don't believe in policies so much in church. I started down that road, and then I, after talking with him, I realized me and him have kind of the same ideas. Um, you can over-policy yourself because really policies are just something to hide behind from telling somebody no because you can say our policies are. So now you take it from a thing of I am leading and this is my decision to the organization and who's the organization, right? Our policy at New Song Church is, folks, we only do corporate worship. We don't do special music. I'll just pick one because that one's been discussed before. But why? Well, that's how it started in the vision of the church with Pastor Jim because he had been in enough churches where even though that can be a blessing, be good, uh, more times than not his experience was it could become a show. It could become more about the person's performance than it is everybody really being blessed. And I, you have to ask the question, can you really be blessed more by just hearing them sing or are you singing to the Lord yourself? And so we've decided, not wrong for other churches, we're not making that judgment on anybody else, but here we do corporate worship only. Everybody in every church always wants to be on the worship team for the most part. There's some people who are realists that realize I can't sing and there's no way I want on the worship team, nor would I stand up in front of people and sing. <laughs> That's the best reaction I got from Joe all night. <laughs> she's she had flush in the face. No, like she's reliving some horror of somebody trying to get her to <laughs> be on a worship team. But... But I watch a lot of Miracle and Idol clips, old clips on YouTube and X Factor, right that. And you know what I love is the ones, not the really great singers, that's okay, that's fine. 
that's finally you can sing so good. <laughs> but I like the ones where the judges have to say, pull the parents in and say, you are at fault for their delusion. Somewhere, someone should have loved you enough to say, you can't sing. And now you came on national television and, and embarrassed yourself. And they're true. They're right. It might be sound harsh, but they're being truthful. Someone should love them enough to say, don't do that. Embarrass yourself. But pride, right? I need to be in the forefront. It's not good enough that there are people out there who have had talent, who belong on TV to bless us with their talent, right? But I need to be in that spot. I am a superstar. I really want to be on the worship team. And I'm the pastor, right? And I probably could go, Belinda, now next Sunday I'm going to start singing on the worship team. Don't laugh too hard because we just talked about this. I said, I really still want to be on the worship team. But I at least have enough maturity to know that that's not right. <laughs> no, I can't play trumpet. I was last chair. This fits in line with what I'm talking about. But it does. It, it does pu puff up. See, David was great enough to stay home now. He, he saw himself above past responsibilities. That spirit translated into denying the limits of appropriate relationship that caused adultery and murder. It, it just, it's, we, we say it so cliche, but sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay, I'm getting it all wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Churches blow up like the Hindenburg when pastors become prideful and arrogant. Pride arms us with the ability to hatch plots, develop conspiracies, act in immoral ways, strife, bitterness, contention, arguments, bicker over minute points of doctrine that don't matter because we think we're right. Arrogant, presumptuous, unteachable, unreachable. In every way, everything that is the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. And the opposite of love, the love chapter, is pride. It's the teenager that's walking to the door and her mother says, drive carefully, honey. And she cocks her head back, does the duck lips. I hate the duck lips. Please don't do the duck lips in your selfies. I, I will comment on your post. <laughs> but that teenager doesn't realize that the same rebellious spirit against the authority and power that her parent has over her, given to her by God, is the same spirit that was present in the heavenly realms and caused Satan to lose everything. I'm going to tell you something. Anybody that has a living parent right now, and I still have to learn this myself, is do not disrespect your parent. It will pay negative dividends in your life immediately. You'll be unaware of it because you're blinded to your own sin. But I'm just telling you that what you don't see is in the background, things are coming loose in your character and in the things that God has designed in you that will actually bring you to a place in your life that's fulfilling and full of God's blessings. And every time you reject that authority, you are robbing yourself. You're allowing the devil to rob you of something in your life that was meant to be. But you don't understand how my parents are. It doesn't matter God gave you those parents and they have their struggles and God will use those to grow you. I'm not a yes man. I don't like people just to, you know, yes, you're right, yes, you're right. I don't parent like that. I, I don't say because I said so. Now I'm going to put myself online here. Boys, do I, 
you better be honest. <laughs> Do I ever say, because I said so? <laughs> Caleb wants so bad to fry me right now. <laughs> if it slipped out, if it slipped out, it is not something that is prevalent. And I'm not saying that in a prideful way, like follow me in that. But Jennifer and I have noticed this too. In, in, in some parenting is, because I said so. Like if I assert this ultimate authority without them learning from it, then somehow I'll get this result of my little minions who do everything I say. You won't. You'll fire up something in them. You'll spark that, that desire to rebel because Satan is just waiting for the moment. And you'll cause a fissure between you and them and the understanding that they want to have about, I want to know why. There's nothing wrong with them wanting to know why. But ultimate obedience has to happen or they're in sin and contradiction. And my goal is to guide them away from sin. So I explained to them. Why can't you run through 40, uh, traffic on I-49, the high rush hour? You see that squirrel that has one hand up looking like he's waving to the guy. The rest of him looks like he's dieted too long. That is why. We have fun with it a lot, but it's the truth is we tell them. I tell them that when their mom says something and they ignore her, that the problem is, is that they were ever to dr- about to drive off a cliff and she's in the car, if they get in the habit of ignoring what their mother is saying, tuning her out, she could be telling them you're about to die and they wouldn't listen and they would pay dearly for it. There, there is penalties for rebellion and pride. And, and it's one of the deadly sins that I think manifests the quickest. And I'm talking about the penalties of it manifests the quickest. Because what happens is, is, when you allow pride to get up, you're already in a mode of separating yourself from stronger relationships with anybody around you. If you're prideful in your work, you'll bring it home and it will begin to cause a fissure between you and your spouse. If you're prideful with your living parents, even though you're out on your own and, and, and you're, you're too proud to receive anything from them, even though they've been there and done that before, guess what's going to happen in your marriage? You know that old adage, watch how he speaks to his mom and you'll know how he'll speak to you. I say, watch how he speaks to you, his mom and dad and you'll find out how he'll speak to you. And for the ladies too. That teenager that snarled at her mom's instruction, she can't imagine it, but her rebelliousness causes her to look just like the devil. Because it is, through scripture I can show you, it is the closest you will ever be to mimicking the attitude and nature of Satan himself is rebellion and pride. When the teacher says, please take your seats, and the student gives a smart elk response, he looks like the devil. Pride is the announcement of self-superiority. I'm going to stop here for a moment in the moments we have left because I'm 44 years old and in my mind I'm still in my 20s and there are a bunch of young people here that probably are hearing an old hellfire and brimstone message right now ringing in their ears because I, I'm saying you look like the devil if you act that way. Listen, I'm not doing that for effect. I'm telling you that I've learned the hard way in my own life. You let that loose and pretty soon you will be living like the devil. I spent some, some years of my life I never want to revisit in my mind or anything again and God has delivered me from that hardly ever coming up. When I mention it now, you know, I, I almost don't ever want to mention it because I know how far it can go. Pride is the announcement of self-superiority. It's the opposite of acknowledgement that he is our God and we are his sheep in his, in his pasture. 
is the declaration that we are our own God, that I made myself and I'll improve myself. In our own lives, we can worship ourselves in our feelings and emotions. It happens all too easy. Real pride says my feelings are more important than yours because they are mine. In, a marriage, in marriage counseling, 99% of marriage problems come from one person wanting to be the center of the universe. The psychology of sin is that if I idolize my own emotions and make my own experience the center of my world, then I become ruler, dominated, guided, and bondage to what I feel. That means you run your relationships by emotion only, and you are in grave danger then in your relationships because your emotions will lead you down the wrong path quickly. People become objectified because you can no longer see what kind of emotion you're putting them through. It doesn't matter. It's all about your emotion. It doesn't matter what real justice is and what's right anymore. It's about how I feel. You know, uh, I've made a joke before, and it wasn't a joke we're going through, but if Jen and I had an issue, she wanted to go to sleep and forget it ever happened, and I wanted to talk all night until I felt like it was exhausted and we were done. She'd be like, her eyes would be like this, and she'd finally just get to her, I'm just going to listen until you're done. <laughs> and maybe I could sleep with my eyes open. Oh. <laughs> I know she thought it a few times. If I could just sleep with my eyes open, this would be easier. But then I started realizing, you know, we started as we got a little older and hopefully maturing, I started saying, you know, honey, this will be all night. And honestly, I'm probably tired and we probably should just not talk about it tonight. And then role reversal. But if you need to talk about it, I'll listen. <laughs> Are you crazy? Are you trying to go backwards? <laughs> it becomes a self-actualizing -actual neurosis. What I feel is God. I feel bad. God is bad. My world gets worse. You'll see this all through social media right now. If it's such a good God, then why are babies dying from horrible murders and other things? Um, because that hurts my emotions, so therefore God is bad. We won't even get into all the reasons why babies are murdered for horrible reasons. We're just going to say that God should be able to snap his fingers and everything be fine. Yeah, but there's that thing of free will. I guess he'd have to take that away, wouldn't he? All the bad people will no longer be able to make a choice to be bad. But that means also nobody had the choice anymore whether to be good or not. We're simply robots. Pride causes them to be angry because everyone is pretending to be happy when God is obviously upset. Pride brings us to despair. And I wouldn't say that all emotion... Uh, is caused uh, all em emotional illness is caused by sin but i will say that a huge amount of emotional illness is rooted in pride the reason is this we deceive ourselves into believing that we are the most important thing then then we're open to, to deception and there is this thin line between the the juvenile rebellion of our teenagers and what took a hold of david koresh It's a scary thing to consider. Pride is not merely the wrong estimation of myself. That is vanity. And vanity is like kindergarten pride. Anybody see? Okay, I reference. I am a millennial in the wrong age group, I guess, because I mentioned Facebook too much. Anybody seen the video somebody shot of a bunch of sorority girls at an at a NBA basketball game? And they got this intense game going on, and they're 
doing the duck flips and the selfies and their makeup and all this. And like, they have no clue what's going on in the game. And they're totally absorbed. And I mean, it's like selfie. If you haven't seen that? It's pretty hilarious. Honestly. But, you know, they're absorbed in themselves so much. They have no, they'll have no regulation of what they spent their money on a ticket for. The purpose of being there. They, they'll have no idea later because it was all absorbed in themselves at the moment. Instead of the athletes that put the time in to be able to play that game, the people who prepared the stadium, right? Uh, the people who will clean up after. All these things, they, they are self-absorbed. And, and even though it's a, it seems like a silly example, I think many times in Christianity we approach the church body as that. My job is just to show up and see what I can get and then go. With no consideration as what it actually takes for ministry to go forward and to see lives changed. For, for the players, if you will, who have prepared and gotten ready so that, so that they'll be ready if you bring that lost soul in, in there, that they'll hear the word of God and that maybe they'll experience God's uh, uh, power in worship and their lives be changed. If our only engagement in coming to church is to, to uh, tag ourselves, right, that we're there, then have we really thought and prepared for a very strategic time that God puts together every week for us to minister to our community? Real pride is the exaltation of self. It's the rebellious enthronement of self. Pride believes that I know more than everyone else because I'm me. Religious pride is the worst of all kinds of pride. Spiritual pride says I'm better than others. Paul said knowledge puffs up. Elitist, arrogant, condescending, religious pride. It drives me crazy. Phariseeism makes the Pharisee feel good about themselves, but it damages everybody else. Religious pride makes one certain uh, makes one uh, certainty that I am better than others, and it is the sin of Satan and the root of terrible things. It's the sin of Jim Jones and David Kresh that whatever motives they had trumped the very lives of the people that they were leading. It is the presence uh, it is the presence of the essence of Lucifer. More than one husband has left his wife because he couldn't become God in his home. God says, I hate lofty eyes and a proud heart. It is an abomination. And to conclude, I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, and then I wanted to speak a little bit on humility. So, so in the last five minutes here, if you'll just stick with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. I want to stop there for a moment. Married folks, do not argue off the back of another argument. Do not bring into any disagreement or discussion past arguments that had apparently been settled. You're not building an arsenal against your spouse to win, Okay? It also always be a heart of restoration. 
Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now I want to give a little, before we go to 11, I want to give a little explanation. Uh, There are some denominations who use this scripture to say that, see, if somebody prophesies, that's gone, that's done. It's not saying that there's a time here, it's talking about when we go to be with the Lord, when we're perfected. There's no need for prophecies anymore because the prophecies have been fulfilled, right? Tongues, there's no need for tongues because tongues is a communication of the Lord that Satan cannot interrupt and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. So communication is not a problem, right? Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Verse 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And this is what I want to say about humility. You cannot fake humility. It's like I'm to tell you, I'm the most humble person in this room. Did I succeed? No. I honestly have heard somebody in a disagreement with me before, a long time ago, say, I'm the most humble person that it is. You can ask anybody. I was talking about, did I really hear that in all seriousness? Because I've used that as a joke before. You cannot fake humility. And pride is a real struggle. You cannot fake humility, and pride is a constant struggle. You have to be on alert. You have to be uh, able, being teachable means I'm able to be evaluated. And not just by myself. I have accountability partners. I have people in ministry who, if I have some thoughts that I think probably aren't helpful for me, I'll call them and say, this is what I've been thinking. Well, brother, you probably shouldn't be thinking that. I know, I need help. (laughs) But I'm hungry for God to grow me. And I've found that there is something wonderful about staying in that spot. But it is a fight to stay in that spot. I don't have it mastered. But I know that when that softness, that tenderness, I'm, I'm speaking to you from my heart, there is a, ta- a softness and a tenderness of the Lord when you get in that spot and just say, I'm ready to be taught. And if you use the person that I think is the least likely to teach me, it's okay. I just need a heads up that what they're saying is right. I need your help. I bounce everything off the, the scripture and the Lord of what people tell me. And there's some people by the track record. I discount what they're telling me in the beginning, not because of pride. It's because where their heart is, they're just going to be hurtful. They're a critic. And I have to know that they're, they're ready to criticize me and everybody else. So I have to, I'm not going to ex- receive that. But, but there's other people who have my best intentions in mind. And if they say, Pastor, I think you might have hurt this person's feeling. I think you need to talk to them. I better heed that. Because if I say, oh, no, I don't, that's their problem. I've opened the door. And what I lose by it is the next morning, that song's not in my heart that was there the day before. And all of a sudden, I find I drove all the way to the project that morning, and I didn't play worship music, and I wasn't bawling my eyes out and I spent time with the Lord. I was in some other zone. I wasn't even talking about the person... That I, I, you know, that might hurt. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I just totally like lost a little spot in my life that 
God had occupied. It's the interesting thing about pride. It begins to shove out the space in your life that God owns. That's what happened with Lucifer. It became so great, he completely shoved God out of his existence. The only thing is you can't get rid of God. You'll have to face him one way or another, either on his side or against him, and that's where he landed against him. And we never know how much time we have here, and this is where the real test is, is will we let pride win while we're here in this temporary body? Or like Dave Ramsey says, will we right now live like nobody else so that later we'll live like nobody else? When we reach heaven, we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and, and I want to make you... I want to give you responsibility over many now. We're going to rule and reign with him. The new heaven and new earth, it isn't just so we can sit on a cloud eating grapes and touching each other's fingers like the painting. <laughs> Although those arms look really good, you know. He, he created in us a desire to serve and to work and to be productive, and that is not going away in heaven. The only difference is without sin, it's not going to stink. Work's not going to be unjoyful it's going to be the best thing ever right whatever he gives us to do will be perfectly matched for us and, and it'd be like the best job you could have ever gotten you could have never imagined it's the best thing you could have ever done but we're going to serve we're going to worship and we're going to be with our king of kings and lord of lords but pride was the original sin that separated one of his own and he's given us the opportunity to rectify that in lives given us his word to say i hate that it's detestable rid yourselves of it Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you have given us this opportunity to focus on this series on the seven deadly sins. And Lord, I thank you that, that we have the eternal hope through your word that, God, while we may struggle and fail in areas, Lord, there's no condemnation in you, which means that when the devil tries to say, look, you'll never succeed because of what you've been doing, we can say you are a liar. That the only reason I feel in this way is because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is telling me to pick up and move forward and to do it God's way. And so that's what I choose to do tonight. As I, I choose to allow the power of God to squash the pride of my life. That maybe I've, I've spent some, some time allowing things to creep in to where now if someone that I think is lesser than me uh, ever tried to correct me or bring any kind of instruction that I bow up, that I fight back, that, I, that, that my ears get warm and I begin to think, who are they to tell me? And all the while, Satan's laughing, taking advantage of our weakness to try to change the image that you have planned for us into his. So God, I pray right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would help us to squash the pride in our lives. With every head bowed and eye closed, I'm not asking for raised hands. I just want us to have a moment of reverence here. But um, I want to give just a couple minutes before we close and dismiss and uh, dismiss for you to let God examine your heart for the word that we've spoken tonight from his word that it would be then to do uh, work in our lives do surgery in our hearts let's give him some moments